Our focus will be uh, Philippians 3, the verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20, which we read earlier. I'll just reread briefly. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most important tasks that Christ has given us here on earth is to be heavenly colonists on earth. Heavenly colonists on earth. Now this may not sound very appealing and is certainly not politically correct, is it? To call someone colonial these days is not a compliment, is it? According to Wikipedia, colonialism is the establishment, exploitation, maintenance, acquisition, and expansion of colonies in one territory by people from another territory. Now that doesn't sound good at all, does it? If someone is accused of having a colonial attitude, what is meant is that they're, they're really guilty of being patronizing or worse, bullying. Or perhaps even worse. They look down on the local people of far-off lands as being inferior. They take advantage of such people for their profit, for the profit of their mother country. And who of us would want to be colonial according to that definition? I don't see any hands. British Columbia, as the name of our province suggests, was once a colony of Great Britain. That was from 1858 until 1866. New Westminster was the capital. The Queen Regnant was Victoria of the United Kingdom. Until 1776, America was a conglomerate of competing colonies under the rule of Great Britain, France, and Spain. Hong Kong, China was a colony of Great Britain from 1842 until 1997. And the Apostle Paul here tells us to remember that we as a church are a colony of heaven. As we'll see, however, he means this in a completely different way than we normally think about colonization in a very different way that our culture and society criticizes colonization. What Paul is talking about is, is nothing nefarious, it's nothing exploitive, wicked, or oppressive. It's life-giving. It's grace-giving. It's good. It's beautiful. To be, to be fair, of course, and, and true to history, not every effort at colonization was wicked or twisted. In many cases, colonists had pure motives. They wanted to bless other countries, especially those in desperate need, with better health care, improved technology, more efficient farming methods, and other culture and spiritual benefits. 
And don't take this as a as approval of everything that happened in those contexts of colonization, not even here in this country. We have to admit, we have to acknowledge honestly, also as Canadian citizens, that not everything that happened in our land was good. Much of it was wicked. What happened in the, the schools? What do you call those schools again? The residential schools. Not, not, uh, there was a lot of wickedness that happened. And so we don't give our approval, of course, to, to those actions and those awful things that happened. To help us better understand what Paul is getting at in, in our text, let me describe to you the situation in the city, city of Philippi in the time that Paul wrote this letter. The city of Philippi, although located in northern Greece, was actually a Roman colony. It was a colony. And this is how it came about. About a century before Paul visited Philippi in 42 BC, just after Julius Caesar had died, one of the greatest battles of the Roman Civil War had broken out there. And the two victorious generals, Antony and Octavian, who would later become Emperor Augustus, designated Philippi a Roman colony. And part of the reason was that they had a lot of soldiers on their hands who were now unemployed. And they didn't needed to do something with all these soldiers. They didn't have room for them in Rome and they didn't want to bring them back to Italy. So Antony and Octavian gave these war veterans property in and around Philippi. Later, later, other war veterans from other battles would join them. So by the time Paul comes to Philippi, a hundred years later about, there are numerous descendants of, of these Roman colonists. Philippi is hardly recognizable anymore as a Greek city. It's thoroughly Romanized. Another aspect that contributes to the flourishing of this Roman colony is its location. Being on one of the main westbound roads, which leads to a port with easy access to Rome, it can maintain a close connection with the mother city. Now, as you may have already concluded, there was another obvious reason that Antony and Octavian established that Roman colony in northern Greece. Not merely to solve problems of overcrowding and unemployment that would otherwise have plagued Rome, but also because they wanted to bring northern Greece under the rule and influence of Roman culture and religion. So this was a very strategic move on their part. And that's exactly what happened. The Philippians became proud of their Roman citizenship. 
and they were highly protective of Roman custom. We read in Acts 16, for for example, that when Paul and Silas visit Philippi, they're brought before the magistrates, the owners of the slave girl out of whom they had cast a demon, told the magistrate, told the magistrates, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They saw themselves as Romans. The city in Greece, and they saw themselves as Romans. The Philippians then know exactly what Paul is getting at when he reminds them that their citizenship is in heaven. They can immediately connect. What Paul is saying to them is that they've been placed as colonists of heaven on earth. And what are they to do with their citizenship, with their heavenly citizenship? They are They are to bless earth with that citizenship. They are to influence earth. They are to to bring heaven's culture onto earth. They are to expand heaven's influence on earth. They They are to bring a little or maybe a lot of heaven to earth. The Greek word that Paul uses here for citizenship is a word that, that will sound familiar to you. It's the word, I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek. It's the word polytuma. Polytuma, and that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, that, that word is familiar because it's derived from the Greek word polis, which means city. The English word politics and political Those words are derived from this Greek word. Now what does that have to do with the church? Well, everything. The church, you see, is unavoidably political. And hear me out on this. The church is a city. The church is a body politic, we might say. She is a city on a hill. Those are Jesus' own words in Matthew 5, verse 14. Remember how the Psalms speak of Jerusalem and also the people of God as the city of our God, His holy habitation, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. That's how God's people are described in Psalm 84, Psalm 48, and other psalms as well. As a city, the church is political. Not, not in, the, in the sense of partisan politics. Don't think Republican, Democrat. Don't think liberal, conservative. That's not what Paul is teaching here. The church is political, not in the sense that, that she is coercive, Or that she is a city in all the ways that earthly cities are cities. Rather, the church is 
political. She is a polis, a city, in the sense that she is a heavenly colony. She is under the authority of heaven's king and his appointed rulers. The church as such has her own constitutions and procedures. The church has her own calendar. We just celebrated Advent and Christmas. The church has her own culture. The church is not just a a blending of the world's culture. The church has her own distinct culture, and we shouldn't be embarrassed about that. We should be thankful for that. It's a real blessing. The church has her own customs. She is ruled by Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father. The church, we as church, are a city belonging to the kingdom of heaven. We as church are blessed to have the influence of heaven to share and to spread in our cities here on earth. As Paul says earlier in in Philippians 3, remember we read that earlier, he had given up his privilege as a Hebrew of Hebrews for the sake of Christ's kingdom. He, He considered that rubbish before he was... He was, Paul was the most proud Hebrew you could find, probably. He was a zealous Hebrew. But now he didn't care about that at all anymore. He was now Christ's. And he was most proud of being part of Christ's kingdom. And now he's asking the Philippians to follow his example by treating their highly coveted and prized Roman citizenship as rubbish for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And that day, having Roman, Roman citizenship, that was a huge deal. And Paul's saying, that's nothing compared to being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And through Paul, God by His Holy Spirit tells us to do the same thing. As church, we are a city under the rule of King Jesus. His Word is the decree and the final authority to which we must all submit, to which we may all submit. Maybe I should put it that way. Because His commands are good. His authority is good. Earthly politicians, not so much. But he is a good ruler, a good king with good laws. His word is good. And so it's good to obey his will and his command. All our customs, our calendars, our culture begin to be shaped by our submission to him. Our lives in their entirety. All our motivations, our our plans, our actions proceed from our love for Him and our obedience toward Him. 
Our individual lives are changed. Our families are changed. Our marriages are changed. Our relationships are changed. The way we do business is changed. Our entertainment, the things that we enjoy, change. The things that we delight in, change. And when He returns, as our text says, He should find us busy doing His will. Those of you who are immigrants know what it's like to become citizens in a new country. You know what it's like to to have to learn a new language, new laws and customs, a new way of life. You have to develop new relationships. You have to learn how to get around. And that's also what it's like when you join the church. You you are now a member of God's city and things run differently in God's city. You're now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You've said that you want God to be your one Lord and Jesus to be your only King and Savior. And just as you have to learn to live in a new country, so you continue learning how to live in God's kingdom. And that's a a lifelong process in which we can, we can also influence and help each other live in this wonderful kingdom. Being members of, the, of God's kingdom, being citizens of God's kingdom, you need to keep learning the language of the Bible. That's why you, you come to church even twice on a Sunday. You want that language, that Word of God to sink deep into your heart, to shape your thinking, your, your life, your desires, your commitments, your relationships. You need to find your way around using the map of God's world. Of the, the map of God's Word. Just like when you, when you come into a, when you move into a new country, in a new city, you have to find your way around. Well, God's Word is that map. You need to come to the table hungry for the bread of life like we'll do this evening. And have a steady diet of the food of His Word. And you can be sure that to be citizens of heaven, to belong to the city of God, means far more than being Canadian. You will never be disappointed with your future in the kingdom of heaven. As members of the church, we belong to God's city which is under the rule of heaven and also for the blessing of the earth. In fact, only to the extent that we are placing ourselves under the rule of heaven can we be a blessing here on earth. 
Our calling as citizens of heaven is to bring the life and rule of heaven to bear here on earth. It's to make the rule and sovereignty of Jesus over us a blessing on earth. We're a colony of heaven called to spread the culture and influence of heaven, the city of God here on earth. And this is something, you know, we, we understand that maybe theologically, but I, I think this is something that the early church really put into practice, and I think something that we need to relearn as the church in the third millennia. One historian of early Christianity rightly said that Christianity is, in a sense, a movement for urban revitalization. Isn't that, isn't that a great thought? Christianity is, in a sense, a movement for urban revitalization. Do you want a, a revitalized Vancouver? Just imagine what a revitalized Vancouver would look like through the influence of the church. This wasn't a foreign concept to the early church. This was, this was what they lived and breathed. We as a church have, have the opportunity, we have the glorious privilege of influencing our culture for good. Of being here in this city, in Vancouver, in Surrey, whatever city God places us in, being here for the good of the world. Is that how we see ourselves? Do we really believe that about ourselves as the church and as followers of Christ? That we have something really good for the world? For the revitalization of our cities and of our world? The very word for church in the New Testament actually is very instructive in this respect. It's the word ecclesia. And ecclesia means assembly. And in the Greek world, the ecclesia was the assembly of the citizens of a city. So by using this word to describe the church, the apostles were making it clear that the church is not an island on her own. If that idea is in our heads and in our practices, we have to get it out. The church is not an island. We are placed here to colonize the earth with heaven. The church is not a sect or a cult that really has nothing to do with the city. That's what people like to make us believe about ourselves, isn't it? It's not true. Let no one convince you of it. Rather, the church is herself a body politic, a heavenly city which works for the transformation of earthly cities. And we could go on about this for hours, literally. If we would take some time, and maybe this, is, this would be a good exercise 
for us. If we just take some time and, and ask each other, okay, so what do you do? What is your job? And how are you, how does your job have a good influence on the people around you? How does your job or your calling bring heaven to earth in some, even some small way? And then if we multiply that by as many people as there are here in this church building this evening, and then multiply that influence by all the Christians in Vancouver or Surrey or any other city, what an amazing what an amazing impact we as church can have and are having in the world and this is clearly how the early christians saw themselves they they sought to bring about, about the transformation of the cities they lived in in very in very specific ways not through revolutionary action but through service not through coercive manipulation, but through servanthood. This is something that had been impressed upon God's people already in the Old Testament, as illustrated in, in Nehemiah 5. That's why we read Nehemiah 5. God wanted His people to care for others, to show mercy to others. And He wanted His priests and kings and governors to be servant leaders. Not abusive, domineering leaders. And that's why Nehemiah was so angry with what the leaders had been doing. He was outraged when he heard how the priests and the nobles were enslaving one another. Charging exorbitant interest to each other. Demanding high taxes. Taking every privilege they could for themselves. They were only interested in, in helping others out if there was something in it for them. Nehemiah, however, was the exact opposite. He and his fellow workers also lended money and grain, but without interest. They did it purely to help their fellow Israelites. Nehemiah and his team were, were generous and hardworking instead of demanding. They even refused to eat the food allotted to the governor because they didn't want to burden God's people. They didn't want the food allowance that they were offered. They didn't need it. They just wanted to serve and bless those around them. And this was also the sort of attitude that the early Christians had. It's a matter of the historical record in fact, that the early church played a large role in revitalizing the life of Greco-Roman cities. The historical record shows that the early Christians provided cities with new norms of social relationships so that urgent urban and social problems could be addressed. Do you want some examples? You've probably heard some before. You've probably heard these before. Christians offered charity and hope 
to cities filled with the homeless and poor. They provided shelter, clothing, and food. They were spreading the influence of heaven on earth in those cities. And it was making a difference. When newcomers and strangers arrived in their cities, whether they were refugees or immigrants, Christians would befriend them and and invite them into their fellowship. We have a, a huge opportunity with that sort of thing here in Canada. I don't know what the numbers are, but our our government wants to welcome many new citizens into Canada. As a church, we have a tremendous opportunity to welcome them, to show hospitality to them, to invite them into our churches. Early Christians would offer travelers hospitality. Christians came to the rescue of orphans and widows, offering them refuge, protection, and care, adopting them into the family of the church. Christians were known to provide effective nursing, hospital services, and aid to cities faced with epidemics fires, and earthquakes. Application is obvious, isn't it? We have so many opportunities to spread the influence of heaven here on earth through simple acts of kindness, through friendship, through care. Christians took in refugees who had been oppressed and displaced. It's as the song goes. Ours are the eyes through which He looks. It's Jesus, of course. Ours are the eyes through which He looks on this world with kindness. Ours are the hands through which He works. Ours are the feet on which He moves. Ours are the voices through which He speaks to this world with kindness. Through our touch, our smile, our listening ear, embodied in us, Jesus is living here. Heaven comes to earth through us, through you and me, the body of Christ here on earth. So let's keep spreading His influence in the courts and the parliaments of our country, in the council chambers and forums of our city, in the streets, in the neighborhoods where we live. 
And let's do that especially by showing ourselves to be servants. Not doing these things for our own gain, for our own glory, but doing it all for Jesus, all for God. For as Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Let us pray. Lord our God, we give thanks to you for your love for us in Jesus, your Son, and for giving us that awesome, awesome privilege of being citizens of heaven. You've given us this citizenship so that we might bring heaven to earth, so that we might be a blessing and bring your goodness, your love and your grace into this world. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would send us out with your blessing so that whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all in your name and for your glory and for for the blessing of those around us. Whether that is in, in the courts and parliaments of our land or through simple acts of kindness to our neighbors, on the streets, in our workplaces, wherever you have placed us, O Lord, help us to be that blessing. Lord, we long for the coming of your kingdom here on earth, which you have promised you will bring about in fullness. And we pray that as we await that day, we may be your faithful witnesses, that we may be your hands and feet, Lord Jesus, in this world. Amen.